Hello. Hello. Gentle listener, welcome back to the podcast Industry Tactics. I'm your loyal host, Friendly Rich, and we're 60 episodes in today. Before we get to our special guest, I'd like to announce a few shows coming up. On August the 24th at the Transac, I'll be performing on stage with Noise Legends, the Nihilist Spasm Band, all the way from London, Ontario. And on September 10th, a new release digitally. It'll be myself with the Woodshed Orchestra, a new record called the Leonard Cohen Suite. Very excited about all of these things coming up. You can get all the dates at FriendlyRich.com. And now for episode 60 of Industry Tactics. She was born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, and was part of one of the first Suzuki classes in Canada. Her relationship with the violin starts when she was just three years old. We talk about everything in this episode, arts funding in Canada, what is Canadian culture. She's got a PhD from U of T looking at and questioning cultural policy in Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Parmala Atariwala. Enjoy. Atari Walla, welcome to the Industry Tactics Podcast. Hi, Richard. I thought you were going to say Atari Walla Walla, like Walla Walla Washington, which is how I used to have to explain my name. And they're you off. Didn't. Atari Walla. Thank you. You did this really cool performance. Uh, it was a Christian Ledois piece at the Go Train station in Hamilton propped up with Sean Medovetsky on the uh, the tablet. <laughs> I forgot. That was a whole We barely knew each other back then, you know? Well, no, I'd done a Friendly Rich show mm-hmm. before that, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. We didn't know each other that well. Yeah. But that Go concert, Go Train Station concert was hilarious. Because yeah. you guys, Sam C built a platform, or Chris did? Yeah, he did. Platform he did. on top of the uh, the benches right in the middle of the ghost station yeah that was a cool piece shout out to christian ledois a hamiltonian a great composer and you brought that music to life and it's always nice to bring music to alternate spaces like a go train station um so walk us through it you are a classically trained violinist is that fair to say yep absolutely where did you grow up where did you grow up Calgary, Alberta. Okay. Born and raised in Calgary. Wow. Yep. What was that like? Awesome. Yeah? Well, I'm old. So it was a great place to be in the 70s and mm-hmm. early 80s. It was still relatively small. Um, yep. 
and I, I mean, it kept growing even when I was there, like an amoeba, just kept spreading out. Yeah. East, north, south, anywhere except into the reserve, which was west. Uh-huh. But it was great. And we had access, you know, the big thing is that we had access to so much funding in Alberta oh, in the okay, 70s. Okay. Big oil boom. Jean and Peter Lougheed. Peter Lougheed was premier, and his wife Jean was a huge supporter of arts. Mm-hmm. And she, her influence, I'd say, probably her influence on her husband meant that there was a lot ah. of money and a lot of access for kids especially to mm-hmm. to art and and really great training and 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 so what it what was music, your early music education like suzuki as a little kid um they were looking they started suzuki i won't tell you when it'll tell you how old i am okay but i was in the very first suzuki class in you Calgary. were yep yep and they oh, were looking for cool. three-year-olds so the Suzuki method, for anyone who doesn't know it, is in a nutshell. I mean, let's not let's not bore our our listeners to um, early childhood training, and they believe that that uh, everyone can be nurtured through music. Yeah. Um, that the parents should also be involved in teaching music to the child, so the parents should learn at the same time. What was uh, you know anything about? Suzuki, I don't know enough about him. I only know more about the method. I don't know enough about the man. He was from Japan. I know a lot of the training that he put into Suzuki. He had these beliefs about nurturing children. Yes, yes, yes. But the training itself, he went to Germany to study how to teach. And, and what to teach, really what to teach. And so the crux of it that makes Suzuki different than, say, uh, an ORF or maybe or any of the others is um, is a fundamental belief of immersing parent with child? Partly. That's a bit of it, anyway. Yeah, and also to start the child before they go to school. So yeah. from age three or four or even two. Okay. And you start playing the instrument immediately because... And, and that's the case with you? Yeah. Like you were you started that I started young. at three. Wow. I started Parma. lessons at three, but here's the thing. I was a stubborn, stubborn kid. Yeah. So and and my teacher was Japanese from Japan, didn't speak English. Okay. I spoke Punjabi. Oh yeah. So when I was three I couldn't speak English. So here I was with this teacher who spoke Japanese and my mom said she wasn't very nice. Yeah. Or she wasn't smiley. <laughs> And I didn't speak. So I refused to do anything she said. And I stood there in my lessons and did nothing for a year. And that was an early disciple of Suzuki, I guess, right? Japanese, like it was probably like, go spread the word. Yeah, probably. Wow, wow. Probably. It's very, very kind of colonial kind of vibe to uh, spreading the word of some of these early religions in music education, eh? Yeah. Well, in fact, I met Suzuki, I don't remember. You met Suzuki himself? Himself in Banff. Let's call him, uh, let's give him a first name. Let's just make it up. Oh, you want to... Oh, you know his first name. Shinuchi, yeah. Shinuchi Suzuki. Shinuchi. Shinuchi. I'll have to work on that. You met it. You met the man. You met Gary Suzuki. There we go. I would have been three (laughs) or less. And again, I was too stubborn to go up to the the concert hall. So Tom Rolston, who was the head of the... Oh, Shauna. Is that related to Shauna's father? Okay, wow. He came and he picked me up. Actually, my... He told wow. me later, he said, I gave you my Guarneri to play because wow. you didn't want to come to the stage. Wow. So there was a stupid little three-year-old kid playing Tom Rolston's Guarneri. Wow. Amazing. And then, and then he picked me up and he took me to the front of the stage. Neat. Yeah. Neat. 
So I was always fascinated by the violin. Always, I used to watch it on you know Leonard Bernstein's show on PBS and I'd walk up to the TV and just go, I want one of those, I want one of those. Yeah. I always knew there was something about the violin that I loved, wanted. That's beautiful to me, yeah. I want to maybe wrap it around that your relationship with the violin as you as you kind of go through time. That's mm. that's kind of it's beautiful. Um, so the so Punjabi something struck me there too. Mm-hmm. Punjab a, a young Punjabi gal in Calgary. Mm-hmm. There's the there's the scene for mm-hmm. for the next opera. So oh. what what was that like? <laughs> I don't know. Like like. Being young and Punjabi, or just no in Calgary. In Calgary? Like I don't know. Like I, I've never actually been to Calgary. What was the well, vibe? No, no. Um, what was that vibe growing up? There were very few South Asians. Well, that yeah, that's kind of what I was, I was, I was, I was thinking. Full stop. Yeah. Yeah. Were, full stop. There were about seven Indian families when wow. I was growing up until. Yeah. So this is pre-multiculturalism, pre-1971, yeah. 72, yeah. when immigration was opened up. I mean, right. before that, there were uh, the Canadian government allowed only, I think, three immigrants from India per year. Yeah, until damn. I'm not sure exactly when. Yeah. So we were just this oddity. My dad wore a turban, and he was a yeah. real oddity. Yeah. And, but we're so unusual that it didn't really matter. What do you mean? Well, it didn't. No one pegged us off as being. uh, As when I was very young, there was no racism because we were just these kind of. This weird, crazy family that they'd never encountered. So my dad, his first job was working with. What do you mean by they never encountered? Like they just stayed away? No, they just. They kind of went, oh, there's a man with a turban. Wow, what's that? That's interesting. Yeah. So we were more interesting than Uh unusual. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and that interesting on, that for, is interesting for me in music <laughs> yeah. when I was young yeah there were other Indian families that the same thing they put their kids in Suzuki uh-huh. partly because it was the only thing the only music to which they had access right there was there were no Indian music lessons no because there were no oh, Indian because, musicians oh, 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 there of were like, course there of just course. was nothing of course so there was Suzuki music that's what we did and we all did it wow yeah and y- where's and it was a good it was a good fit it was a good fit so you immediately Kinda. get this i think you immediately get this really interesting and that's how the beauty happens right it's like one of what seven punjabi families six seven punjabi families in the vicinity mm-hmm. all of a sudden boom there it starts to yeah. th- this variation starts to happen which i think is 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 equal strength as it is like serious fucking challenge in our country for some damn reason well, like I look at that yeah. and go like yeah that's that like that's how we thrive right? right like it's all these offshoots of like culture blending and mixing is is where it should be right yeah I mean yeah. I want to get into that with you I know you got it's I know you have I three opinions <laughs> I know you have three opinions three thoughts on that subject <laughs> I got lots of thoughts. Well, it's okay. We only have four minutes left, so let, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. Hey, let's cut to some music. What from our early discussions here of your repertoire could we play of your recorded repertoire? Early music? No, uh, not early or just music. Just like traditional stuff. No. Before uh, I went sorry, I, I used the wrong word. From our discussions early in the podcast. Mm. 
would prompt me. It could even be that piece by Christian Ledroit. Ah, okay. Do we have access to sure. it? Sure, let me give you a section where I actually created the violin part. Where Parmela shreds part. with, with Sean Medavetsky. Here she is in, what would we say that is, 2008, 9, 8. Around, around 10 years ago, right. in the ghost station at the Hamilton, uh, in the Hamilton ghost station, here she is now playing a piece. What's the piece called by Christian Ledroit? Never the twain shall meet. Thank you. 
And that was it, yeah. So you wrote that part, uh, you wrote that violin part, that, or you, you how did that yeah, work out, the that, collaboration with that Christian? That little section, uh, Chris wrote the bulk of the violin part, and, and there was a section in the middle where oh. it was solo tabla, and he wasn't quite sure what to do, and I went, okay. I know what to do. Creden credenza? Is that what we call it in music? I think it was a, meant to be a tabla cadenza. I decided. Cadenza, credenza is credenza. what you would put a record player <laughs> or your a jewelry or in, a yeah? console. Yes. No, okay. so I decided it should be a tabla violin duet, and I added a part. Sweet, sweet. You got yourself in there. Yeah. A little bit of self-advocation. Our first industry tactic to talk about today is... You know, speaking up and getting the gig, and I think you just did there in that Christian Ledois piece, you changed the outcome of the piece. Mm -hmm. So you do a lot of that in your career, speaking up, getting, like, kind of making yourself getting in there? You have Musically, to. Musically, for don't sure. Don't you? Musically, for sure. For sure. Yeah, and okay. that has had to do with my being visually different. Yeah. Culturally different. And yeah. Having been different growing up. Um... It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, partly after after I finished my formal studies, my undergrad in music, and then I went off to Europe, and in Europe again I was weird and different. <laughs> but uh, it was also con it concerned me that there were no people who looked like me in audiences, particularly in Canada, and that right. I didn't have a whole lot of support yeah. from family. Honestly, I'll be frank, from family from friends of my family from so your family was not too supportive no not at all of your music no no my dad never heard me play until i what, what did your dad do what was my his father was a physician vocation physician okay yeah, yeah. And, and they're still with us your parents are they yes, they yes. Are. Great, great 86 living on the west coast that's beautiful that's yeah. beautiful a shout out to the atari wallachs <laughs> um and and okay and your mom Mum, of course, she was the one who put me into violin, and she came to all my concerts, recitals, exams, uh, festivals, competitions. Yeah, she was supportive, because she used the one, you know, she was the home mom, yeah. put me into ballet, gymnastics, all those okay. things you're supposed okay. to do with kids, Yeah. and music was the thing that stuck, so she was there. Beauty, beauty. But my dad had never heard me play, and he didn't think it was serious, he didn't think mm -hmm. I was serious, he wasn't sure I was any good, it did, like, it just was not any, anything except you know it was like going to school yeah. something that your kid does outside so it's not his problem concern have you in all these years ever had that moment of uh coming around to to accepting you as a musician mm. do you feel i'm not sure I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I mean, That's as you know, I went and I did a PhD. Even my master's PhD in ethnomusicology. Yeah. Okay. Well, my which came after my master's, um, and I did the master's majoring in North Indian music. Oh and wow! Wow. Sikh devotional poetry. The connection between Sikh devotional poetry and music. Did and not that, know this. Okay. And that was really is kind of like to. To have connect me to my dad, 
was ah. something that was important to him. So religion is very important to my dad. That's yeah. his devotion. Yeah. So beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and so the wow. PhD was then okay. I'm done with that. Well, no, no. The PhD <laughs> is here's something that that maybe my dad can be proud of. Right. Ah. So I have something that he can hold on to that's acknowledged that in his I world, what's acceptable and what can be acknowledged as having value that he can associate that with me however however you're 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 the you're saying the, the act of of, yeah. of of having a phd having the phd mm -hmm. is, so is, no. is is yeah. is of value to your father to my, exactly however the the I, i'm interested in like the from your the topic of your what your master's was mm -hmm. in a more traditional area yeah of, of research to where you went with your PhD, which mm -hmm. I think was more, um, w w was not so traditional, yeah? No, the, the yeah, PhD, PhD was about Canadian uh, arts funding and, and that culture, was for you. politics and multicultural. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not that the master's wasn't, I'm saying, yeah. uh, but that was really a topic that, that, that got you going, that still yeah, gets you going, yeah, right? Yeah, because we're in this really interesting period of flux in terms of... Here we go. What is Canadian culture? All right, Pete, ladies and gentlemen, she's going to bust it open now, so we're into, we're into a new phase of the podcast. Are you as excited as I am? Uh, Parmala Atariwala really digging into and asking the tough questions about, you know, so you, and you've been asking these questions for a long time. Of so you were dissatisfied with the look and feel of your of audiences in in Canadian music halls, growing up even. Um, yeah, growing up, it didn't. I didn't notice it as much because the, I I grew up in a period where if you were different, mm -hmm. you kept that private. So those differences of you know whether it was being Sikh or 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 even Ukrainian. Mm. You know, you kept your cultural differences at home. And maybe you would do your dances out in public during a festival, but difference was something that you kept at home. It was, yeah. it was private. But we've come to an, uh, a place in time where difference is now a public thing. And we sh we're trying to show it off. Mm. Um, well, some people try to show it off. Mm -hmm. That's partly because of multiculturalism allows us to do that. Mm -hmm. And in certain ways, when we say that we want to be this diverse country, when we sell the country as multiculturalism, we're asking people to be different and to, to publicly declare their difference, whether yeah. it's in their clothing, whether it's in speaking their home language out on the street, whatever it is. Yeah. So it's not private anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bit of, a, I would hope, an evolution or, yeah. Yeah. It, it certainly it has been an evolution. I don't think we're through it. And we're it's made it a lot, in a lot of ways too, it's made it a lot more difficult because yeah. the friction and the intolerance is also out there equally equally visible. And, and I think right. that's, it's growing yeah, yeah, as, yeah, yeah. as the differences are um, exponentially, I think, getting bigger. So, so I mean, this is what makes you tick eh? in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, yeah. it's also the, 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 the pure music of it all. And, and I, I don't want to stray too far away from the joy and the love of music and your relationship with the violin. But we'd be remiss to not get into some of these topics, right? Mm -hmm. the, the cultural challenges in this country and how they affect 
uh, y- you know, the way we do what we do in, in music or any other art form. So your PhD, again, is on, the, the thesis is, you took a good look at under the eye um, of... I looked at Canadian public policy, its history of, or the history of cultural policy in Canada. So through the 1900s, and yeah. then I looked at the philosophy of multiculturalism, even the history of that, yeah. and the history of colonialism. Whoa. And then post-Second World War, what happened as countries decolonized and what that meant, and then how various previously colonized cult- countries mm-hmm. started to reclaim their culture. And so that, that has very much to do with what's going on in Canada. Yeah. We were in this double colonial thing where Canada itself was a colony of Britain, but then we, we I mean... We, the British, the French, yeah. colonized the indigenous people. So, I mean, it's... Double, um, double colonization. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. So, so, I looked at well. what has happened with culture. Like, how do, we, how do we express our culture as Canadians? How do we express our culture as people, multicultural citizens? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we exist? I mean, it goes to beyond how do we exist. And, and music, we tend to do it through music, through dance, through theater, through language, food, all of these things that we call culture, that we call art. How do you do it responsibly in, 28, yeah. in 2018? Let's get into it, yeah, man. Let's be current. Oh I man, mean, it's uh, complicated. Yeah, well, I mean, perhaps you, you write a piece called Slave... <laughs> and present it uh, with money from the Montreal Jazz Festival, Kanata, the the other, the second mm-hmm. of of a now what's appearing to be a trilogy of buffoonery. Uh, like what is going on there in the Robert Le, in the in the um, Lepage camp? It's silly. It's it is comedic at this point. Yeah. Well, I'll I have to be honest about those. Yeah. The the Lepage situation because I've. I've only heard, heard a couple of CBC podcasts. I've not read the articles yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, on the but subject, yeah, though, the of of making art responsibly, right. come on, yeah. come on. You don't you don't got to listen to more than two podcasts to figure mm-hmm. that that's. I is that I mean, would you call that integrity, or would you say that you got it? I think you got to change your game. Absolutely, we all have to change our game. Like, and let's do this. It's an opportunity. About, like, uh, yeah, and it's about colonialism. And the question is, whose definition of art are we using? We keep talking about, we continue to talk about, and for a while the Canada Council had took it yes. out of the lexicon, artistic excellence. Okay. Because those, that was a problematic phrase. Like, whose definition of artistic excellence? Depending on which musical system you right. get into, right, 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 you're right. going to have a different understanding of what that Criteria. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I worked with a Kazal singer many years ago. She was one of the first people I collaborated with, and mm. it was not the easiest collaboration. Um, and I remember at one point she talked about tone, tone quality. Okay. And what she wanted to get was this really phlegmy mm. voice, like somebody who sucked a few too many cough drops or maybe had eaten too much cheese and had all this and you know kind of like a bronchial asthmatic sound but that was for that person 
Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah, nice, 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 nice. Right? So Love for, it. If I made that kind of sound on the violin, people are no way in heck right. am I going to get a <laughs> yeah um, a job with the symphony. Right. No way. Right. So that they're different definitions of excellence. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then art, art as a profession versus art as a way of expressing culture. That too is something very different. Right. Right. Not every culture has an artist as a professional person, mm-hmm. as distinct from just part of their everyday life. So, uh, the, okay. And the third thing, when we, if we're going to use Lepage as an example, um, I don't mean I don't mean well, to no, no, pick on them. But no, no, it's it's a good one because it's it's prescient. The again in the West we have this hero worship of the single author. Mm. You know, the sing, um, right. especially in classical music or right. in classical everything, classical theater, classical dance, you have this dance, you've got the choreographer, it's the person who's known yep. in classical, Western classical music, yep. you have the single composer, right. and that's the person who gets the accolades, they get the copyright, they're worshipped, it's Good like one. their composition. In um, numerous other cultures, yeah. It's not a single author. It's not a Very single cool. yeah, creator. Yeah, yeah. So jazz is a perfect example. I mean, a lead sheet, right? right? right. Okay, yeah, okay. Sure, mm-hmm. Charlie Parker's got a lead sheet, but mm-hmm. do is is he the person to to whom we give all the credit for all those recordings of his tune? Yeah, no, right, right, right. Not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really, that's really, I, I think you're pegging something there in that, like, ego's in the foreground in a, in a yeah. lot of this. Yeah, and there's collaboration is something we need to start thinking about, and equal, um, authorship might be a problematic word, but equal mm-hmm. uh, right to create creative um, input. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to borrow from another culture, you ask that other culture to come in and they can censor you, and they, but they all can also contribute, and they need to be doing so equally. We can't just borrow without You know, they said something responsibility. like... They said something, one of the, I think the people that he was collaborating with... Um, oh, the woman from Paris. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, what's her name? It starts with an M, anyway. Pardon my ignorance, gentle listeners. But they said, she said something like, acting uh, is a fundamental thing of... Right. Y- you know, y- y- yeah, you're taking on other, you're taking on the other and, and, and running with it. And I get it, but, uh, you know, it, anyway, it's opened up this interesting, I'm not saying I got the answers, but it's mm-hmm. opened up this really interesting dialogue. And I do want to, I do want to focus, though, on the fact that, like, I don't know, I don't know what makes a strong artist. I don't know what I admire. I do admire, like on one hand, I'll be frank, I do admire the, the fact that some that we need to be courageous as artists. We need to be like on in our lane. But so is, he's being true to himself. I don't think any of these people are, are out to be, right? I think they think they're doing the right thing. And, I, and maybe, and perhaps they are. I'm not, you know. But it, it just seems, it's like it's uncompromising to the point of, concern and ah um, I don't know I don't know how noble it is I don't know how noble it's not coming off as noble is what I'm getting at you know um he probably feels he's doing the right thing according to what he learned and how he learned of what was the way of working what was right. again with 
what could contribute to when what contributed yeah and continues to contribute to his sense of what is artistic excellence yeah um problem yeah. is we're in this time of change so just yeah. it's like also the scarlett johansson controversy sure. recently sure sure of of her portraying a transgendered person right the problem is that there are not enough transgendered people who have the opportunity right to be um actors right regardless of the character they're playing yeah so we're, uh -huh. we're readjusting the, the scales in terms of who has access to to play a role to play their music to create music who has access to the stage yes right yes. that that's yes. what that's the adjustment we're making and it again unfortunately it goes to this concept of colonialism and to um having a dominant voice always taking the power so the dominant voices need to cede power to let let others in but i i think it is i think it's 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 stepping away and 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 changing your game slightly to to create different outcomes from it like i think that both of those cases could have been incredible opportunities for and i mean it's created a dialogue nonetheless and well here's here's a flip side that i i yeah. like to think i like to throw out every now and then yeah what if the the austrians complained about this brown chick, Canadian chick, who plays Mozart and who is a Mozart trained well. as a Mozart specialist. So I went to two, I went to Switzerland for two years yep. to specialize in Mozart to work with one of the great Mozart teachers. Okay, back back to the violin. This is yeah, good. I, I, I appreciate this. But good. What if the Viennese complained about that? What if the Austrians complained about that and said, "What is she doing playing our music?" and and I'll qualify that because at one point somebody said that to me Shut when I was in up. Switzerland and I was subbing for a colleague as a concertmaster of this orchestra in Zurich and the conductor just kind of looked in absolute shock and probably a bit of horror. It's like, who are you and do you know how to play this? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, they, they don't. Come on. Back, back then they didn't see many people that looked like me. They probably still mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. Certainly not playing the violin. Mm-hmm. There you go. I mean, and the answer is you should be so lucky. You, well, no, you no. Puke. But the other thing is that that again, that's symbolic of colonialism, where the right. the right. colonials will say, "Okay, we that's that's um, we've got that brown person. You know, we've taught them our way because it's the better way, uh -huh. which has been part of the whole colonial mindset from the very beginning. You know, dominate, inculcate with our culture mm -hmm. and suppress that culture that's what happened to the indigenous people here right yeah absolutely and I, so absolutely. when i look at who audience so when going back to your initial question when i start to look at audiences in yeah. canada yeah well yeah why would there be indian like east indian people in our audiences yeah yeah because they're in a, it's a certain kind of anti-colonial protest to not go to a western concert because they were suppressed and they're like yeah fuck it right that's not my music it's so you know yeah. symphonies are having trouble with this the whole western classical scene in canada is is trying to figure this out yeah yeah so so and you and, and you look at the the constitution of a symphony orchestra and you also go hmm 
I know they're they're and, and we talked about we can get into that. I mean, we know they audition their their orchestras behind uh, white Same. sheets, yeah. a, a deliberate white colored sheet, probably. But uh, but are they diverse enough? Is that enough? Let's talk about uh, symphony orchestras. I don't know if I wanted to go into this. I've been researching right. this for the last year. Yeah. And there, a paper will be coming out shortly. Yep. Publicly, but until yep. then, I probably shouldn't say too much. But yes, yep. it is. Uh, yep. The defense has always been for the, the constitution of the orchestra itself. Right. As opposed to its soloists or, um, right. Even composers. But the, the actual orchestral membership is still predominantly white. Yeah. You get some mostly African Americans, a yeah. few African Canadians, or Canadians of African ancestry. You get people of East Asian ancestry, particularly Korea, Japan, China. Yeah. But as I always like to, to, um, to say or to remind people, yeah. those countries did not come out of European colonial colonialism. Like they adopted Western artistic culture because they wanted to to um, play on the same economic level as Europe and as North America. Mm, mm. So they adopted the culture for those reasons. I see. Um, but. S- but look at the let's look at the colonials, and particularly the non-Christian colonials. That's all I'm going to say. I uh. just think it's something we need to think about, and then think about that in the context of multiculturalism and what multiculturalism allows. It allows us to be different, mm-hmm. and how did how do we hold those differences? How do we maintain those differences? Well, yeah, that's kind of it, right? Like, is is it a strength or a? A point or of concern, right? And like, does it continue to divide us? Suddenly? Yes. Or does it? Is it? Is it what you celebrate? Like that was my point yeah. about the, the bringing up that Brampton culture. Is that yeah. I saw it as like <clears throat> my dream for Brampton was it could be it could be a beautiful strength that celebrated this this beautiful this moment of cultural diversity, right? You know. Instead, white flight. Let's all get out of here. Yeah, I'm surprised. You know, I that brings me down. Le- that could be. I don't know. I'm surprised that there's a lack of familiarity. But in, a, yeah. if you were to bring Shahid Parvez out into the public, bring him to a public form, an outdoor festival, yeah, you wouldn't get that. You probably wouldn't get that white flight because people would be there. They'd they'd see it. Yeah. Walking oh, down man. the street, they'd see it. It's it's royalty. And then you have familiarity. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, you know, on the other hand, do you want to put someone like that in in a public forum? Would you want to put Itzhak Perlman in Dundas Square? Yeah. So everyone had access to him? R- right, right, you know, right, it's, it's, right. It's a weird... Right. <laughs> this is fun. Well, maybe maybe at the space. Go Train, sta- go train yeah, Station go train at station. Uh, <laughs> Union... Hey, um, you know, I want to let, let's cut to some music. And now I think it would be apropos because you were kind of talking about you've got this beautiful diet of the way you became you as a musician of, you know, staunch classical upbringing in a lot of ways. And then all of a sudden 
you go into the kind of the improvised music scene and where you try to break music and I think that's no that's no mistake that you wind up there with a lot of those kooks from the Toronto music scene right so what's something from your repertoire that uh, recorded repertoire <laughs> is that, that we, called repertoire that stuff no probably not but uh, that <laughs> we could cut time. to that 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 that, that try that attempts to break music any anything from your that that just that comes to mind that you have an mp3 of that we can cut to here let me see if i can find something with myself and tomas krakowiak who is one mm. of my favorite improvisers yeah tomai tomai yeah tomai? good yeah. tomai yeah let's see if i can find something all right here she goes with tomai and the Krakowiak, that <laughs> sounds, yeah, he sounds like he's cracking, he's breaking the, mu- <laughs> they're going to break the music together. Here it comes now, something from Parmela. Is, is, would Tomasz have been someone that you've, you've collaborated with significantly? Not as much as I would like. He's one of my favorite people. And, okay, cool. And uh, let me throw cool. this out. He introduced me to my partner in life. Bang, here we go. Tomash introduce you to your partner. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, it was here's a funny story. Here it comes. Life's stories are always funny in retrospect. Mm-hmm. So I I had always admired Tomash, or at least for as long as I'd heard him, I thought, wow, this guy's amazing. The mm-hmm. subtlety of his colors, sound world. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nicely um, put. And I had the opportunity, I can't even remember who programmed us, mm-hmm. um, at the old somewhere there, down uh, at Dufferin and just south of Queen. Yeah, at Scott's? Someone, the at old, Scott's, yeah, okay, yeah. Good, good. Someone programmed us, and I was like, and just us, it was just me and Tomash, and I was so mm. nervous, I was like, oh my god, I get to play with Tomash. You know, I had one of those musical crushes on him. Yeah, okay. Um, so, at the end of our set, I, I, there was these people in the audience who I'd never seen before. I realized it was Tomasz's people. One of the guys 
And I remember only in retrospect that he walked up to me and he said, hey, I took this picture of you. He's like, oh, great, thanks. And then I went back to my little world of writing my PhD thesis and completely forgot. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What I didn't know is that, is that over the course of the next six months, I played a number of shows with Tomas, yeah. and this guy showed up to every one of them. Here we go. And eventually, my good friend Nicole Rampersad got wind yes. of this. And <laughs> Shout out to Nicole Rampersu. And yeah, Sky and I, after a gig, we ended up on the subway together going home. And So Nicole, wait, Nicole when you say that she, she got Nicole, wind of this. Between Nicole and Tomaj, they figured out that I was single. They, they muscled it along. They yeah, nudged it. They, they nudged nudged Beauty, it. the little industry guy, tactics, the little, the little trumpeter nudge. Yeah, so this, this guy said to me, I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm an architect. And I've had a thing for, I, I love architecture. And as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, cool. This guy might be really interesting. <laughs> and here we are. What is his name? Shout out. Martin Milkowski. Shout out to Martin Milkowski. Yep. Who nice. really loves improvised music. Does yeah. not like concert halls or composed music, so that's well. It's a match made in weird. It, it's hilarious. a match made in heaven. Yep, he appreciates the weirdest things that I do. Oh, that's great. That's what we need. That's what we need, right? Yeah. yeah. Doesn't doesn't need me to conform, which is good. Yeah, I, that's the architect brain. I think the architect brain, in a lot of ways, understands noise, understands different perspectives on on music. is is very open minded to at least many that I have met that are that are they've got an open mind to new sounds because I mean it's uh, I, I heard an interesting thing with a landscape architect that was comparing like introducing interesting weird ground covers mm. to you know the early days of jazz chords and just a different way of looking at music and I thought oh that's cool garden gar- you know avant gardening mm. and uh, you know and, and then it translates I think in a lot in a in a big way with architecture and music and that's kind of what I've been I've been chipping away at that concept through many of the interviews I've done with Industry Tactics in a, in a, in a, in a weird way of just that correlation between visual arts and um, and the night and and bringing that in uh, to music when a visual artist like a Michael Snow for example makes music so you come at music from a, mm-hmm. a different perspective and you're naive in a lot of ways to, to t- some of the rules of music you can really bust it open and do unique things with it. That's so beautiful. Back to the love and the romance and the trumpeter's nudge of Nicole Rampersode from the scene. So, so you're you're in with all these cats. Hey, eh? let's name them off. The members, the founding forefathers and mothers of uh, of of improvised music in Toronto. You've got. Go ahead. Scott Thompson. Scott Thompson. Joe Cerbera. Joe Cerbera. Uh, Rob Pilonen. Robbie Pilonen. Ken Aldcroft, the late beautiful. The late Ken beautiful Aldcroft, Ken Aldcroft. With whom I just want to, since we're talking about him. Yeah. I had one of my most profound improvising experiences with a musician playing with Ken Aldcroft. Please share. Oh, it's just. Is beautiful. that or is that it? Hard stuff. Well, it was me and Ken duo Mm -hmm. and when I really want to feel like I'm getting into the sound world of the person I'm improvising with I close my eyes and I felt like oh that's cool like K 
Ken and I was were meeting in the center of a space. It was just, mm. it was like a meditative moment when, when you find that moment of nirvana. Mm. You know, one of those rare music musical moments, when those, yeah, just rare, rare, almost a spiritual moment. What, when was it? What, where, where oh, was it? That was, again, that was in the second somewhere there that was just, uh, oh, on like uh, Lansdowne, just south of Blue, on Sterling, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it was in that space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And duet? That, it was duet? It was just me and Ken, yeah. Did you play a lot with Ken then? Not very often. Um, okay. Ken was one of the first people to ask me to play yeah. uh, with his ensemble. And uh, that's actually where I met Nicole Ramprasad, Great. who I'd heard about. Yes. Ironically, right. I, I heard about her from my ex-husband, who said, you got to meet this chick, Nicole. Okay. <laughs> you didn't, didn't know Nicole from I'm, UFT? No, no. I'm, I'm a lot older than that. Okay. Yeah, she. we were there at okay. different times. Um, okay. But my ex knew her from New England Conservatory, and he said, "You gotta meet her. You'll, you'll really like her." Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the uh, the whole improv world, I didn't get into until I was doing my PhD. Okay. Which started in 2004 and lasted far too long. But uh, when I started it, I was no longer allowed to perform classical, like the traditional classical stuff. Okay. It, it, and it had to do with with the rules about how much you were allowed to work outside the university. So I couldn't okay. play with the ballet or the opera anymore. Oh, so, so I had to give that's that up. What, uh, yeah. See, I always thought your gravitation towards that whole world was to just, um, as, as a bit of a statement from some of the shit we were saying earlier with just, or, or also re- remaining nimble. I guess I, I guess some of that is, 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 is also true, but that's interesting that it was almost a, a way around like a union clause or something yeah, like that well, to, to stay creative. That's well, to cool. Be, to become part of, when when I became part of the Toronto scene, like the AIM Toronto scene, yeah. that was absolute, it, it had to do with the PhD. But wow. I I was doing this weird improv stuff way before and, and mostly okay. with dance and, and even yes, working, right. like working with Indian musicians. Like I, I had to, I had a certain amount of knowledge from my master's yeah. degree yeah. about the, the theory of Hindustani music. But to sit down and actually collaborate and do it as a Western trained musician, yeah, it's like okay, how do I do this? So you have to negotiate space, which is what improv is about. You have to negotiate your musical space. So I, wow. you know, as a creator, musical creator, I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Working with the AIM Toronto guys, who for me are coming more from the both the British school of improv and the American jazz. Yeah. Improv scene. Yeah, yeah. So That's I came cool. in that way. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Parm, this has just been a joy. As we kind of wrap this episode up, Parmala, what? Uh, where are you going with it? How do you remain in love and jazzed about where you're going musically and creatively? Like, you know, I'm interested in that. How do you keep it fresh? Hmm. How do you change up also your, your practice routines? That's another interesting question I'd like to... Just one at a time, though. How do you keep it fresh creatively? Like, what are you working on these days? You went to England a couple of years ago. You're working on all kinds of oh, yeah. crazy dance productions. That's yeah. cool. Learning unique uh, variations on the violin from a different time. The Gaelic violin or whatever oh, the yeah. fuck that was. <laughs> the truth. The truth. The truth. C-R-W-T-H. Sorry, these headphones stink, and I'm a terrible listener, so the two of those things together. Anyway, keep going. What are we talking about? 
the kruth is this wonderful 11th century um, bowed Welsh instrument yeah. that I had the opportunity to learn. That's heavy. Yeah, to play for a contemporary opera. You see? That was yeah, it was great, and it was literally the day. I finished my PhD that oh. they gave me that little piece of paper that said you graduated and yeah. I flew off to Wales to do this project. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Do you have any recordings of the you and the the Bluthy? There is. Yes, I will have to look it up. Um, you could share it like just a little snippet. Well, Let's I, listen. I could check. I could check. Let's listen. That. If yeah. we can hear it, here it comes now, Parmela on the Bluth. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> did I get it? The Cruth. Cruth. The Kruth, yeah. Sorry, Kruth. <laughs> um, and what is the name of this production? Let's talk a little bit this, about the piece, if is, you have um, it. It's from Under Milkwood, which is uh, Dylan Thomas's oh, yeah. poetry, uh, set by John Metcalf, who's the composer, Welsh composer. And at the doorway of Bethesda House, the Reverend Jenkins, Larry Peel, his sunset poem. Every morning when I wake, dear Lord, a little prayer I make. Oh, please to keep thy lovely eye on all poor creatures. How did you connect with John Metcalf, Parmela? The Banff Center. Many moons ago, I cool. played in a production of his called Kafka's Chimp, which was also the first time that I had the opportunity to to move while performing. Uh-huh. 
I became a character on stage. And that's where, that was 1995, I believe. Okay. Maybe six, 1996. Yeah. And it was subsequent to that that I started working in dance and working with choreographers. Awesome. And started dancing and moving and playing at the same time. Did that change your game? Absolutely. Absolutely. Who did, who did you study with to help you figure that out? There mustn't have been like a... I, I didn't. I just worked with choreographers. Okay. okay. And, and we Great. figured, so figured that's it who, out. And that's, that's really where the improvising, like the heavy improvising, yeah. you know, laying on the floor. Okay, what can I play while I'm laying on the floor? Yeah. Okay, what can I play while I'm trying to get up? It's great. So how do you keep it fresh? I keep trying crazy things. I keep, yeah. I, for me, it's never been, you know what? It's always been about wanting to work with great artists. Hmm. And it's never been about playing a certain piece of music. It's been about who, which artist is really open to collaborating and what can I learn from them and what can I help create, like what can we create together. Beautiful. So point. whether it's a choreographer, whether it's someone in jazz, whether it's, whether it's a, um, a punk rocker. I mean, one of my best friends is a punk artist and I've learned so much from him. And it was just because, okay, I know this is someone with a lot of information and he's really cool and we can talk about music. What can we do together? Man, I, I think if you look at the work of Parmala Atariwala, where can people, listeners, learn more about your work, Parm? Probably my website, parmala.com. Okay, well, that's easy. Parmala.com. Uh, you know, you, you, I think you embody uh, how I want the world to be in your music, you know? Like, it's just when you touched on that, it could be anything from punk to like it's just an open-mindedness uh, that I I want I embrace you know so thank you for 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 your work thank you for sharing how do you uh, what does practice look like for you as a, as my final question she's gonna say not enough <laughs> well, bye bye that is true <laughs> that is absolutely no kidding true. no kidding it's um, tough. But how, Sometimes yeah. it depends on how I feel okay. in a day. Uh, if I'm really, really emotional, yeah. if there's something going on that I can't yeah. quite figure out, then yeah. I will go back to actually just playing through some Bach, okay. which gives me yeah, yeah. some rest. Otherwise, it'll yeah. be trying to learn a new new mode, okay. like a jazz mode or, or a Greek mode, whatever it is, or yeah. maybe trying to play some of those <laughs> modes with my tabla machine <laughs> so I can you know learn some more get better at playing in in Hindustani tal did you say your tabla machine a tabla machine oh yeah what's a tabla machine oh these days the young kids probably have a tabla up app okay like, right? a, like right. a drum machine yeah yeah cool. like you know you can plug in rupak tal and play along with it sick so that's I gotta get it I gotta get out more that sounds yeah. fun yeah, so that's usually what I do. Just I'm just working on different techniques, whatever and I can. What's uh, what's what are some of the upcoming projects for you? If people want to check out what you're up to. <clears throat> to be honest, I I'm trying to over the next few months yeah. do two th a few things. Okay. Write a couple of books. Whoa. And start writing my own music again. Pramila, we love you. We wish you well. Thank, Thank you. you so much for sharing. Uh, it means a lot. What should we end on? What should we send our gentle listeners 
out with. Here it comes now. Oh, probably something of mine. Good. And uh, please, I'm not sure which it would be. You know what? Do you want She's tabla with string quartet, or do you want tabla yeah. with drum kit or violin and drum kit? Or it, it's how we're feeling. Here we go. Here it comes now. Tabla with string quartet, a piece by Pramila Atariwala. Self. It's called self. Thank you.
That was an excerpt from Parmala Atariwala's piece, Sylph, for tabla and string quartet. Learn more of her work at parmala.com. And we'll see you again next time on Industry Tactics for episode 61. Hacha! <laughs>